Welcome to Hyde Speak. I'm Catherine Dawson. Um, I hate to do this, but if everybody could at least put your cell phones on vibrate, we'd really appreciate it. Um, on October 29th, 2010, Hyde Seek, Difference in Desire in American Portraiture, the first major museum ex exhibition to explore themes of gender and sexuality in American art, opened at the National Portrait Gallery. On December 1st, artist David Wanarovich's 1987 video work, A Fire in My Belly, which was intended to articulate, among other things, the silencing and suffering of people with AIDS, was pulled from the exhibition by the director of the Smithsonian Institution. This decision was made after special interest groups and members of Congress took offense to 11 seconds of the video, which can, contains a shot of ants crawling on a crucifix. At this point, most of you have probably seen this. In protest of the Smithsonian's decision, numerous art galleries and institutions, led by the expert example of Washington's own Transformer, have been screening the band video, displaying other working... <laughs> Uh, displaying other works of Wanarovich's and organizing marches and artistic actions. Additionally, thanks to the efforts of www.hideseek.org, panels have been developed in multiple cities across the country to discuss the many issues that have arisen as part of this censorship. Transformer, the DCJCC, and I have teamed up to bring you Hide Speak, a conversation with uh, Hide Seek co-curator David Ward to discuss the events that led up to the Smithsonian's removal of the video from the exhibition that have unfolded since the video was pulled, the social and political implications of the situation, and how we as a community, in all definitions and configurations of community, view this particular moment. This evening we'll have about 45 minutes of discussion, followed by a, a Q&A. David Ward is a historian at the National Portrait Gallery and co-curator with Jonathan D. Katz of Hide Seek. Tyler Green is editor and writer of Modern Art Notes and U.S. columnist for Modern Painters. Victoria Reese is the co-founder and executive and artistic director of Transformer. Daphne Steinberg is a local artist and the director of the Anne Loeb Bronfman Gallery here at the JCC. Facilitating this evening is Josh Ford, director of programs here at the JCC. Thanks and enjoy. Thank you, Kat. Um, I do want to thank Kat Dawson for uh, bringing this event to the DCJCC. I think it's great that we have you all here. We're going to start um, with David uh, and ask you to, to talk a little bit about the process of how we got to where we are. The creation of the exhibit, the unveiling of the exhibit, as it were, and then the, the surrounding um, controversy that's erupted over the last couple of weeks. Um, thank you. Thank you, Josh, and thank you again all for coming. I, I do want to start off by thanking Kat Dawson, Catherine Dawson, who is a, a, an early and enthusiastic supporter of the show, um, spiritually, intellectually, and also, for those of you in the museum world, very important financially. Um, and w when she agreed to put this on, at first I thought, well, there's an obvious conflict of interest here. I can't have one of my backers um, doing a program for me, but since I've had a really crappy five weeks... Um, <laughs> I'm all, in, I'm all in favor of stacking the deck, so thank you, Catherine. And, and thank you to the Community Center for, for hosting this. It's, it's great to see so many of you here. Um, I entered this, I, I'm, I'm not holding myself blameless, but I'm holding myself innocent. Um, the, the Hide Seek started from a show that I did on Walt Whitman when the National Portrait Gallery reopened in 2006. And, I was interested in Whitman because I was interested in modernism and, and Whitman's self-presentation, and I put a picture on the wall 
I wasn't especially interested in women's sexuality or, or even his private life, but I had a great picture by Matthew Brady of Walt Whitman and his lover of six, eight years, Peter Doyle, um, and I put it on the wall, and I said, this is Walt Whitman and his lover of seven years, Peter Doyle, and a man at my symposium came down and introduced himself as Jonathan Katz, who I didn't know, and said, did you get in trouble for writing that label? Did you have a lot of difficulty putting that label up? And I said, no, as far as I know, nobody even read the label. Um, <laughs> and he said, because that, and he said, that's interesting, uh, because that's the first time that relationship has ever been acknowledged in a major museum exhibition on Walt Whitman. And I was, as the English say, gobsmacked by that. And he and I began a discussion of that very question of silence, the way in which the museum world did not, uh, whether it's Whitman and Peter Doyle or Carl von Freiburg and Marsden Hartley or Jasper Johns and Robert Rauschenberg, or the way in which um, elements of, of sexuality, same-sex desire, homosexuality, and lesbianism were silenced in the museum world. And what we evolved in this sort of, Jonathan, um, who, is, who has been an, what I would call admirably an activist scholar, concerned as a gay man with LGBT issues in academia, had been um, doing it, had proposed a show on precisely what became I'd Seek to many museums, and they had turned him down until he stumbled into the sucker that I am. Um, and, and the National Portrait Gallery agreed to put on the show some two and a half, three years ago. Um, we evolved the show in a distinctive way, and, and the distinctive way is, in terms of our concerns, is reflected in the subtitle, Difference and Desire in American Portraiture. We were not going to do an exhibition which just simply identified, you know, Andy Warhol as gay or Marsden Hartley as gay, um, you know, Kathy Opie as a lesbian. We, we were not also going to do an, an up, with people, up With Gay People show um, <laughs> where it was kind of affirmative. And, and conversely, we were, we were not going to do an exhibition like the National Portrait Gallery London's Gay Icon show, which stays with the familiar and safe you know, gay camp, Liza Minnelli, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, Elton John kind of thing where it's, it's sort of safe. What we wanted to do was to, to reinterpret a major strand in American modernism, American modernist portraiture through the lens of sexual difference, precisely why it was that Marsden Hartley evolved abstract portraiture because it was not just simply the love that dare not speak its name, but the love that could not be have the name painted, that, that abstraction or representation oscillated um, in a way um, that, that was rooted profoundly in biographical um, circumstances and, and, and the social circumstances of being, the evolving status of being gay in America. Um, I'll just close this probably. I'm, I'm sort of tempted at these forums. I've been doing them a lot of, I'm just sort of filibustering for 50 minutes and not, <laughs> not allowing anybody to talk. Um, but what we also, the, the dilemma of the show is um, the chronology. Do we do um, art before liberation, the Stonewall riots of 69 sparking the modern gay liberation movement? Um, the, the arc of the show is pretty simple. There's arc under repression, then art under, um, under liberation. And you, you would expect, as we did find, a, a substantial difference as it became possible to speak openly about um, one's basic... Uh, personality. Uh, but then the, the problem, and it's a small consequence of the AIDS tragedy, is, is AIDS, that we, we, 
is that that, that nice schema of sort of arcing up to 69 and then 69 gets knocked off kilter by 1983 with the emergence of the, or the, the, the appearance of the AIDS HIV epidemic. And so we were, you know, do we do art before liberation? Or do we do art before AIDS? And we just decided, ah, screw it. And um, went all the way through, through AIDS with a kind of whistling literally and figuratively, and I, I hope we're right, um, a notion that, that with the consolidation <laughs> after the AIDS era, um, it's possible now to return to a kind of Whitman-esque postmodernism that returns us to the roots of the show. Um, and that, of course, is why, I'll segue now to the most recent controversy, why we want to keep A.A. Bronson's um, Felix in the show, because it's the most powerful uh, evocation of an era that our critics do not want to discuss. Um, and I, again, I will, I'll just close here by my view of this controversy for the last six weeks has been... Um, whether it was F. Scott Fitzgerald or Coleridge's negative capability, the, 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 the characteristic of a fine mind is the ability to hold two contradictory thoughts in your head at the same time, um, it, which is criticize the Smithsonian, praise the Smithsonian. Um, and the element that I'm concerned about now is the ongoing viability of hide-seek, which I think makes an important statement um, to the museum world and to American culture. Um, and I want to see this exhibition remain as whole as I can keep it for the remaining six weeks of its run. And I thank you again for coming out. Tyler, turning to you, um, you've had a, an interesting uh, sort of cat seat on this whole uh, sort of series of events as it's gone down. Could you take us through sort of how you came to the controversy, how you revealed some of the things that you revealed about the process of uh, how Fire in My Belly was taken down and what you see as some of the, the fallout um, since you first published. Well, um, I honestly don't remember how I found out um, the video came out. Um, and and I, I, I probably was a little slow to kind of grasp... Um, I do, I do remember when the conservative news service story um, hit. Um, it, it was late in the afternoon on a, on a weekday. I mean, it was not, you know, and otherwise I was probably preparing for a hockey game or something. Um, and, and I remember thinking um, that the most interesting thing about that was the reason that story hit, to, to my way of thinking, had, had very little to do with art or the show, um, the day before, Don't Ask, Don't Tell looked pretty dead in the water. Um, and the chances of Don't Ask, Don't Tell getting through the House and Senate had been revived the previous day by a Pentagon report, which had said that, oh, if Don't Ask, Don't Tell is repealed, it's really no big deal. It doesn't bother us. doesn't impact national security. Shrug. And I remember thinking, um, when, when, when the CNS thing hit, ah, uh, the right wing has to keep its base happy. Um, it needs a way to attack the gays, um, and here we go. Um, and that's the part I, I, I remember. I, I, um, I like to think about art through the prism of um, not kind of a comfy breakfast nook thing to do or what you do on a Saturday afternoon. Some museums think of it that way. Some journalists think of it that way. But I think one of the great things about art and artists is the way that they um, engage with their present um, and... Um, I, th I remember thinking 
when the CNS thing hit that, that, well, here we, you know, the present may be about to start, and then within 48 hours, the Smithsonian made a really big mistake, um, and it's kind of kept going from there. Um, I have to um, <laughs> and, and again, what, as, as a curator being involved in this, it's actually been a kind of an out-of-body experience because um, and I'm looking up in the crowd at our PR person, Bethany Bentley, who's at this point, I urge the Smithsonian to give her a raise. Um, when the piece hit, the CNS piece hit, we knew it was coming because we'd been dealing with them. And it, it, at about 5.30, I was home. And it, it actually was fascinating in an intellectual kind of way and appalling in a personal way because you could see the kind of click-click as the piece got picked up by the blogs and the other commentators were the original. And it, and it did just sort of, it was like one of those, you know, maps in a sci-fi detective novel where, or movie where things go And then, of course, the blog comments start to come in and um, the, the element in which your life sort of takes on this otherworldly experience of, of as people latch onto your, ex, your work, a work that was never allowed, frankly, to be taken seriously by the people who, in, who, who were criticizing it, um, that it would immediately fit into a frame, whether it was Don't Ask, Don't Tell, or the marriage issue, or, or, the, or the war on terror, for that matter, with the emphasis on a kind of Christianist America, um, virulent religious um, um, ideology, and, 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 and it sort of metastasized is the only way I can put it um, across to the point where the decision was made I th you know kind of you know stampede the Smithsonian was stampeded into making a decision because of the, the virulence of this CNS and then the Catholic League I, I have to pause here for a moment of perfect personal privilege for my co-curator Jonathan Katz who's not here and he is I've received um, a certain well all of us at this at the NPG the portrait gallery have received a great deal of um, interesting correspondence from the great American public. Um, and my vocabulary is much better than it used to be. Uh, <laughs> but I have to just, for me, that does, it doesn't affect me that much. Um, but for Jonathan, Jonathan is receiving, and I'm sad to say in this precinct, the Jewish Community Center, he is receiving absolutely vile, despicable, violent, anti-Semitic comments absolutely vile and I hold the CNS and its minions personally responsible for a medieval form of anti-Semitism which obviously is still alive and it's appalling to me what he is having to endure with the good humor that he brings to everything he does but the element by the, with, with which um, you know so-called religious people resort to the bonfire is appalling to me. And it was one of the things that we were hoping in putting on hide seek we could begin a discussion that might be provocative but would not be foreclosed in the way that it has been. Um, to follow up on that question, how um, did you, just ask you to unpack a little bit more, how you experienced those 48 hours from it hitting the news wires to the decision coming down from the castle? to uh, pull the piece, knowing that your position as a curator who um, selected these works, your position within a larger institution um, where there, there is a, a calculation going on of 
75% of their funding coming from congressional uh, appropriations. Did you anticipate the sort of strategic retreat, you know, that we had to burn the village to save it? Uh, interesting analogy. Um, I actually, I'll, I'll pick up on the burn the village to save it, and, and I want to try in a way to get past the, the, the pulling of the, of the video. First, as I've already indicated, there was just a period of almost psychic destabilization as I saw the way that this, that I was, you know, the, the show, let alone myself or Jonathan personally, were being treated, and, and it was, I mean, it was, it was very disturbing. I mean, the first week, I mean, I was not, for one thing, I'm slightly insomniacal anyway, so I'd be, it would be like two in the morning, oh, I better check my email and see who's, you know, called me a snothead tonight. Um, so there was that element to it. It was destabilizing, and I, again, and, and, and Tyler, you know, had this story, which was, um, you know, the, the Smithsonian moved very quickly in a way that Martin Seller, Sullivan, our director, and I, we were in the room when the decision was handed down, moved very quickly in a way that I don't think was wise, but I'm not, you know, the decision was made um, to create a fire break, largely not because of homosexuality, but because, as I've indicated, the Christian issue, the Christianist issue, the, but there was, there was no stopping to explain it. Um, Director Sullivan, Marty Sullivan and I both advocated what would at worst be a fighting retreat where where we didn't just act preemptively, preemptorily, we, we would move by gradients towards the end of the week. That wasn't done. Um, the secretary of the Smithsonian said, we're cutting this off now and effectively, to stay with the fire image, um, creating a fire break by which we will now defend the show. And as I've said, I work, the Smithsonian is not a university, it's not a private art gallery, it's a large government organization, and it's much closer to a large multinational corporation, and um, the, the issue of, you know, you know, internal versus external protest, um, you know, I was not going to resign over this issue because if I did so, aside from the fact I have a mortgage, um, um, the element of that that would then solve a problem. It's, it's like, you know, curator leaves Smithsonian problem solved, and I'm going to defend this show as long and as hard as I can. Um, but, you know, so, so there, there was that. What's gotten lost in this, because of the way in which the, the, the video was removed with the art world now reacting, and Tyler can speak to this, or actually you can too. First of all, I want to thank Victoria going back to my two ideas at the same time notion, the you know, I didn't want to lose Wanarovich. He was, or that video, Wanarovich is still in the show, I'll point out, in two other places, or three other places if you include his portrait. Um, I didn't want to lose it. We put it in the show for a reason. Um, we wanted to represent video. We wanted to represent fire in my belly. It was, it was there to make a point, intellectually and artistically. And I commend Victoria for uh, immediately on as she points out, World Without Art Day, um, ironically, um, um, to, to, to start showing it a Transformer. Um, my view of this is, is slightly pragmatic, is that we lost one 105th of the exhibition. The exhibition is still, to my mind, a, a, a great exhibition. It still does what we want it to do. 
Um, if we lose more, and that's why I'm concerned about the Bronson issue, if we lose more, it's going to hurt. And it's going to, you know, more than just, it'll hurt the show intellectually and culturally. Can we keep the mics on just so we can have a little more natural conversation? So are you saying that the fire break worked? I'm not sure. I will know if, if we, I, know, I don't know. Um, you know. Tyler, do you, Tyler, do you well, think the fire? Well, let me just let me <laughs> let me also just say, uh, you know, the element of you know whatever cliche you want, throw the baby out with the bathwater, cutting off your nose to spite your face. Or you do, you know, forest in the trees. Okay, anybody got another one? Um, you know, if it if, if, if it's a pragmatic bureaucratic decision, um, I'm you know, there's no point in going hashing over the the you know externally the the reasons why or the the, the TikTok and as to how the decision was made. If it works, great. Um, I'm not happy about it, but it, if it works, great. Um, but I'm still worried because of now the art world versus the Smithsonian thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, I guess backing up to, to Secretary Clough's decision, I, you know, I didn't get around to making this point in, in pixelated print for a couple of weeks, um, which was a, a, a mistake. Um, you know, the Secretary's uh, PhD is in civil engineering. Um, he's worked in, an admin in, in university administration almost entirely at an engineering school. Um, he has no humanities, uh, let alone art, background. Um, and I think that really mattered here. You know, the, the, the Smithsonian has never had an art guy as, as the secretary of the Smithsonian. And I think here's an example of where you had a guy who was not an art guy or who was not a historian or not a humanitarian not quite the right phrase. Um, you know, making <laughs> oh, a call he, he, he was not uh, professionally prepared to make. Um, one, I, I guess two other quick things. One, um, I, I, I think the show's, it, it is kind of amusing. Um, I mean, it's wonderful to see lots of um, galleries and museums um, stand by um, the show and support the artist whose work was removed and the scholars, historians, and researchers who worked on the show. Um, but, you know, I haven't exactly seen a whole bunch of them doing shows like this in the last decade. Um, so it's um, hopefully this creates some um, impetus for broader scholarship going forward. Um, Victoria, I want to bring you into this. Uh, you made the decision when, when just to, to elaborate on, on the day without art, uh, when the the uh, work was removed from the show to um, to show the, the, the work for, was it 48 hours in a row? 48 hours, uh, 48 hours projected um, outside of our, facing outside of our storefront and then inside when we received the original Which, work. And this is something I'm interested in. In, in this age of, of the internet, as much as David may hate it, um, it has really changed, you know, what a censor is able to accomplish in terms of squashing a work. And the removal of, of, of the piece from, from, the, uh, from the exhibit aside and how that happened, um, are, are the censors as powerful anymore? Um, are the gatekeepers on either side as powerful anymore? And, and what, how does a, a gallery like Transformer um, view a moment like this? Well, <clears throat> We, I read about um, this situation, the work being pulled from the exhibition at around 12.30 in the morning on December 1st as I was working with my gallery manager to finish up a listserv post for something else that we were trying to get out. And she said, oh, you might want to read this article that Blake Gopnik just wrote that's coming out in the print edition of the Post today. And um, 
honestly, my immediate thought was just, wow, you know, in 1991, I moved to D.C. to work for the National Association of Artists Organizations as an intern, and they were a co-plaintiff on the NEA4 case, and it was just like going into a time warp and thinking about um, people like Patrick O'Connell, Visual Aids, and Grand Fury, and all of these amazing mentors that I had in the arts at a young age, and what how they were dealing with this issue, uh, you know, almost 20 years ago. And um, it was just sort of a gut response, a, a, a very organic response. I, I guess the way I was taught in the arts was, we should show this video. Absolutely, we should show the video and, and have people see it and create some dialogue around this. Why wasn't there dialogue around this? Why wasn't there discussion with the curators, as I understood Blake article, Blake's article for this piece to be pulled? You know, I saw the exhibition, it was beautiful. Why, you know, why, why, why? So I, having all these questions, I immediately contacted my board president, James Alfantis, who's here in the audience, and he said, yeah, of course we should show it. So we did. And um, we didn't, I mean, we showed it, and then sort of this frenzy started happening. And um, I mean, in terms of the censorship of the work, I mean, yes, I do think it's censorship to pull a piece that was thoughtfully included by the curators. And I think that it's a wake-up call for us to look at the incoming Congress that we have and arts appropriations and a whole conversation about public funding of the arts and you know how, what voices do, do, does our Congress not want to hear? David, when you were planning the exhibit, you obviously probably anticipated a certain amount of controversy, and you were very thoughtful in what you included. In a thousand years, could you ever have predicted that this particular Wanarovich piece oh, would a have... A thousand years, I Well, maybe a thousand <laughs> years. But did you, I mean, no, wh no, when no, you found out exactly it, what it was they had zero, what it was the Catholic um, League had zeroed in on, well, I, I have was there say, a head slap here? Yeah, I mean, didn't I, think I, of that one. There, well, first of all, let me just, a little bit of the, let me just pick mm -hmm. up a little bit of the question you asked Victoria, because one of the things, uh, I actually have rational reasons for hating the internet, um, which is, and, and the video gets to that, is the video can be shown, you know, you know whether it's YouTube to the NYU, the, the, original, the original film at NYU, but you can't do that with Aikens' Sally. I mean, the, the element of reproduction, and, I, I, and when it comes to fine art oil painting, or it, it, the, the, you need to see that in the exhibition, aside from the fact that the exhibition um, and, and, you know, creates the argument that we're trying to make about this. The video, um, actually, it, it, to that extent, it's, it's a lucky hit because you could pick it up, and it can, as they say, go viral, whereas, whereas the other artwork needs, you, you know, there's only one, um, you know, Berlin 47 by Mars, Marsden Hartley. Um, we, Jonathan and I, and I have to give again Jonathan credit, that we were, we knew um, that this would be a controversial, not potentially, it was going to be a controversial show. Uh, we had, we were, Jonathan and I, and Jonathan is, is, the expert on the artwork, and we were very careful about what we showed, what we selected. Um, we, we were very careful about nudity, and it's no accident that the two main nudes in the show are both by straight artists. Um, you know, the Frank O'Hara 
um, by Larry Rivers and, and good old Andrew Wyeth's um, naked Pennsylvania Beach Boy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, you know, so we were very careful about that. But the other, th- the other thing about it, and this, again, in terms of, of what I'm now calling the art world versus the museum world, um, we were not going to do what I would c- call, you know, outsider art. We wanted this to be a canonical show. I've been at parties or fundraisers in Manhattan where people have criticized us for being too conservative. It's like, why aren't you showing this guy who does, you know, interesting work with semen? And I'm kind of going, well, we, I'll tell you why not, because we're... <laughs> um, and, because I'm not a fool. Um, and, and so we, but the point was to redefine and, and reinterpret American modernism through the lens of sexual difference, and that required the canonical works that we assembled. And Jonathan and I, I have to say, were naive enough to think that we had assembled enough canonical works that you could disagree with the interpretation, but you couldn't disagree with the art. Well, you know, again, what, contrary to what I just said, more fool me, um, because the art was not given a chance to breathe. I just, again, to pick up on a theme... Because, because I'm, with the emphasis on the Wanarovich and the, now the Bronson um, and, the, and the attacks for censorship and all the rest of it, and I understand exactly where those are coming from. Um, and I fought, I'm and continuing to fight against that tendency. But I think we need to remember here that there's a larger existential threat, not just to these, this exhibition, but to the people represented in the exhibition. And I just want to make one, a trivial, it's a trivial picture in a way. But it's nonetheless very emblematic of this. It's the, the Ellen DeGeneres picture by Annie Leibovitz, which is in the show. And if you've seen it, um, you'll know it. And I think, in fact, it was an American Express ad. And it's Ellen DeGeneres goofing around on the beach at Maui. And she's in white face, and she's got a cigarette butt, and she's, and, and she's cupping her breasts in a kind of... She's wearing a, a, a bikini top, which has uh, cups that are about the size of basketballs. So it's like... Um, you know, and she's got boxer shorts on and sweatpants, and she's she's having a goof. And Annie Leibovitz is is, and that picture has been picked up by the conservative critics and described as obscene, because she's holding her breasts. And I have to say again, the element in which you do not pay attention to what the visual or written evidence to make a point, and it's quite clear that the reason why that picture is obscene, particularly because it's right above. Um, the Maplethorpe picture of Lisa Lyons, which is all nude, bodybuilder. That picture hasn't been picked out. And it's quite clear why Ellen DeGeneres is obscene, is because she is an out lesbian. And you cannot portray the lesbian body ipso facto. It's obscene. Doesn't matter what she's wearing. She could be wearing a burqa, and it would be obscene. And that, again, is the, the wider, the much more powerful tendency towards invisibility, eradication, and all the rest of it. The Smithsonian made a mistake, in my view. It was punished, and it is continuing to be punished for that. It's being punished for removing the Wanarovich. Fair enough. I understand that. I take the point. I protested the policy. I'm moving on with it. But there is a larger existential threat that the people in the museum world in particular, and artists especially, and especially artists who grew up in the AIDS era, need to pay attention to is the right wing doesn't care if these ex- these pictures are down from the wall. They don't care if they disappear by accident or design or through their own efforts, as long as they disappear. And more chillingly, what they want is the people they represent to disappear. And that's where... 
that's where I'm now concerned that the element of Smith's overkill on the Smithsonian, the Wanarovich, the censorship, that the left is doing what the left frequently does, and I've watched this for 40 years, of forming a circular firing squad based on ideological purity, which is going to end up with us getting a tank run over our house. Exactly. And just to comment on that, that's exactly why we decided to show the video. Tyler, you look like you wanted to jump Yeah, in. that's why what the Warhol Foundation did last week was so wildly counterproductive. Um, for, for people who haven't been following, um, it, the Warhol Foundation announced last week that um, if, if the video wasn't put back in the show, it would stop funding the Smithsonian, um, which, uh, or exhibitions at the Smithsonian, um, that is the you know that gets to your circular. They funded your show and they funded you, um, but that, that that gets to the very de- so so I'm the one who gets to say this out loud. It's the definition of of um, short sighted um, abandonment, failing to join the fight once they've already um, been dragged to it by the right. Um, you know, to, to the best of my memory, the Warhol Foundation doesn't have a Washington based board member, um, and if um, they they want to be involved and engaged in in uh, ways in which the arts are going to be involved in these controversial issues. They can't just turn tail and run when when the right wing gets annoyed. They need we, we we need them engaged. They need to be engaged. And I wish they'd found other ways of being productive. I didn't actually read their um, action in that way. I think um, having their response was in my understanding of it was that um, they've been dealing with issues like this for many years now, artists and arts organizations that they've supported since the 80s have been facing this issue, and I think that it was a way for them to make a statement that, uh, well, there was an action based on the threat of funding being pulled, so why not look at the larger scope of arts funding, and I think it was to generate a conversation around arts funding, arts appropriations, and uh, I, you know, I don't know that it was necessarily so short-sighted on their part. No, I understand the long prehistory of this. I mean, I understand again the the way in which they, and I, I understand the political reaction that they had, and um, I find it in many ways understandable. Um, the The question of funding is an interesting one. For and and as many of you know, the Smithsonian has a federal payment, and we're grateful. To Congress for allowing us to to exemplify American democracy in shows like Hide Seek, um, but we also, for all of our public programming, including exhibitions, we have to raise money. And one of the gratifying things to me um, is that Jonathan Katz and I, with with the help of our development office, we raised eight, almost eight hundred thousand dollars in the space of two years for this show, which is one of the reasons why again there is a constituency that needs to be. Um, Acknowledged, um, and, and and you know the, again the, the question of public and private comes up. It's you cannot say that this was a totally privately funded show um, it, because it is a, a mixed use federal, public, and private um, enterprise. The, que- the the problem that I have with the whole question of government funding for the arts and the critics of it is that the government does a lot of things. They do a lot of things I don't like. I don't like ethanol subsidies, for instance. Um, and 
the way that government works, whether you go back to Madison and Federalist 10 or a variety of other political theorists, is that taxation spreads out you know, the, the various benefits that for, for, um, for a good and just society. And the people who want an absolute cutoff of federal funding for the arts, which is what they want, they want art to disappear from the federal budget, I say, fine. You want that, then here's what you do. Don't go after Heidsie. Go after our Hall of Presidents. Don't go after, you know, uh, Frank Goodyear's Alexander Gardner show. Um, go after the Trumbull paintings in the Capitol. Take those down. Um, go after all the other work that we do. The point is, you don't like some kinds of art. We know the kind of art that you like. We know the kind of religious imagery you like, too. Um, and for that matter, I will draw an analogy here. Um, it, while you're taking down the, the Hall of Presidents, take down the Buddhas in Afghanistan. Um, I think there's a congruence there in terms of politics. Um, and I find that profoundly offensive. I don't think that this, is a, this, this argument is fought fair on the part of the people who are against art in the government. The government has always been involved in American art, from the building of the Capitol to the financing and payment of good old Rembrandt Peel's porthole in Washington back in the 1820s. So that argument that this is all recent is totally fallacious and erroneous. It's the kind of art, and we know what that means. Um, I wanted to turn to Daphne. As a <coughs> community artist and as a, a local curator, um, wh what's your response to, to what's happened? What else are you hearing from the art community on the ground? You're prolific on social media. Um, what have you heard and what have you, what's been your reaction to this? Um, I think as, the, as an artist, I've, I found out about um, this whole controversy on my birthday. So I woke up and I, it was the first thing I read and I remember thinking, oh, that's a really great way to celebrate my birthday. And thinking that um, as an artist, how angry I was at the decision. Um, but then also thinking about that every day as a, as a curator, the idea of censorship and what does that mean when you're making curatorial decisions. And how do you um, how, how do you make those decisions? And you give everyone in the exhibition their fair share of showing. And um, I remember actually when I went to go see Hide Seek, how the Wanarovich film was actually not even working. Like the screen that was it was it wasn't working. You could touch it and it just didn't play. So I didn't even see it in the show. I only saw it later. Um, when it was online after it had been pulled, which I'm actually in a way grateful for that I actually still got to see it. But um, I think as a community artist, it, it made me question what, what is my role as an artist in DC and what is my role in terms of um, promoting or fighting against censorship, but then at the same time working as a gallery director, having this position here, how do I combat that every day? And to kind of go on the whole funding um, aspect, when the Warhol Foundation pulled, my bigger concern was the stories I was hearing online, on Twitter, on Facebook, everywhere, about the people who wanted their artwork pulled, and not just Bronson, but the other stories that I was hearing of people asking to have other pictures from the National Portrait Gallery pulled. So I think my concern was more like, well, what's gonna happen to all the artwork if it gets pulled? Mm -hmm. Where is it going to go? 
I would like to respond. We have had a lot of people contact Transformers, especially younger artists, because our audience primarily is focused, or, or our mission, I should say, is focused on emerging artists, and that's primarily the work that we show. And so a lot of younger artists have contacted us saying, you know, we're, we're really upset. What do we do? How can we respond? My band wants to have a protest show. Um, should we organize another rally? And, you know, as a 501c3, I, I can't as transformer advocate for you know necessarily do this or do that but as a as a curator as an individual i would definitely say the best thing that anyone could do is write letters to congress i mean that's what we're, it, we're dealing with right now we're dealing with a congress that's going to come in and cut arts funding so that would be my first action to take is write a letter write the, write and share your dissent about this uh, I, I raised Warhol because it was Warhol's action that A.A. Bronson specifically cited as the right. motivation for, and then, and then David had mentioned that um, it would be kind of silly if the aims of the right to silence a people, a history, and their art were, were performed by mm -hmm. those who care most about it in reaction to. Um, but just to give some numbers for context, um, Smithsonian, uh, fiscal year 10 Smithsonian funding from the Fed, $761 million. Uh, Warhol the last four years to the Smithsonian 375,000 so my my original or one of my original complaints about what Warhol did was that it was um, an, an odd way to, to threaten um, an institution <laughs> given that their broader concerns were what Congress might do next and we don't know that Congress is necessarily going to cut funding but that will be a very interesting story to watch and I think I think also your suggestion and I know I mean this is something that we definitely want to talk about um, but I think your suggestion about having, instead of museums sort of saying, like, showing the Wonorovich and showing, but having museums actually bring the show, the entire show, to their museums. And I know that that was one of your... Or new scholarship based on right. some of the questions or areas raised. I mean, one of the really interesting things about Jonathan Katz's essay in the catalog, by the way, the best way to support the show at this point, other than calling your, your members, is, is to uh, buy the catalog. <laughs> um, you know, the I get no royalties for the catalog. <laughs> <laughs> I would I mean, just like to point out that James Moran, who's on the Arts Appropriation Committee, did say immediately yeah. the writing's on the wall and watch what happens with this new Congress. So I think we're kidding ourselves if we don't really take it seriously that arts appropriation right. in this country, um, among many other uh, what might be considered liberalized services, are... Yeah. I, want, I think I, I, I saw a couple of hands pop up, and I think we want to move towards a yeah. conclusion of, of the roundtable. Um, um, one of the things that's interesting about hide-seek in this con I mean, the controversy is, uh, the, beginning with Salyatad in the crisis of the, of the 1890s, and then, say, the crisis of the 1950s with the Red and Lavender Scares with Rauschenberg and Johns, is the way in which political and social crises in America are gendered. So there's, a, there's an academic or an intellectual irony here that, that again, the, the, the way in which Heidsieck has become a flashpoint for, for other cultural um, and, and social issues proves to my mind the, the explosiveness, the continued explosiveness and the relevance of the exhibition. Um, that, that there's a, I, before heading over here, I was reading something else and there had a quote from Milan Kundura, which had said that the struggle of, of man against power is the struggle of memory against forgetting. And the element of hide-seek and the assertion of presence and the refusal to willfully misremember is where I think we need to go now. So I think we'll 
open it up for questions. So we're going to take questions. Um, uh, just because this is being recorded, I'll repeat your question afterwards. So if you could just wait uh, to answer, uh, direct it to our, one of our panelists. And also, if you could please phrase your question in the form of a question, since we don't have a lot of time for statements. Yes, begin with you, sir. No, we're on 14th and P. 14th, we're on sorry. P Street between 14th and 15th. Sorry, I'm on TV, couldn't quite capture it. The question no is problem. This, when you first started showing the, the film, did you have um, demonstrations taking place at your facility, at your gallery? So no. let me just re repeat the question. Um, the question is whether there were demonstrations taking place in front of your gallery when you were showing the film. No, not at all. Um, we started showing the work at noon on December 1st. We had it uh, in our storefront window on a large screen monitor facing out. Um, it was there for 48 hours. We had um, people gather, uh, artists gathered for an artistic action that took place starting at Transformer walking to the National Portrait Gallery and standing outside of the steps of the National Portrait Gallery with Wanarovich masks from a film still, uh, Silence Equals Death. It's a silent 10-minute vigil protest. Um, we didn't have any, any problems with the showing of the work um, in our storefront until uh, the evening of December 2nd, um, Channel 9 News uh, was trying to instigate a story um, that the clip we were using... No, you're right. Uh, the, the, there was, like, the clip that we were showing, ha it was different than the four-minute clip the uh, museum was showing. It had a slight um, imagery of a penis, and they were trying to instigate a story, you know, oh, aren't you worried about children seeing this? And I think they had one tourist from Minneapolis who said, oh, you know, yeah, I wouldn't want my kids to see this, but I guess I'd walk on the other side of the street. I'm not from here. And um, uh, so, you know, the I was on this December 3rd, actually, though. We knew we were receiving the original video works from the Fales Library, from, from the, actually the executor of the artist estate um, provided the work to us through Fales. It's 20 minutes total, one 13-minute video, another seven-minute video. Um, there was more nudity included in the seven-minute piece. It was starting to get very cold in D.C. The, uh, the Fales Library also sent the work with a lot of contextual information, a lot of literature that they really wanted to be presented with the screening of the work. So at that point, we decided to show it inside our space so people could really come in, sit down for 20 minutes, look at the work, read the materials we received. Also, we received a six-page letter from Diamanda Galas uh, talking about a music accompaniment that was apparently supposed to go with the work. So there was more information about the overall piece we wanted people to, to have. Are you still showing it today in the gallery? Yeah. Thank you. Well, limited holiday hours, so. <laughs> all, all the way up to the top of the theater. So 
So the question was, aside from the Catholic League's complaints about the show, were there any other complaints that did not belong to the Catholic League? Yeah, am, I, am I correct in, in rephrasing it that way? So the, que the question is, before, before the Catholic League went public with the CSN uh, report, well, look, were there other complaints? Um, well, first of all, there are two things here. The fact that I was concerned that the show might be, um, might potentially be, um, you, you plan for contingencies. I was hoping that it wouldn't be controversial, and then, in fact, the first month, we got a very respectful um, review hearing, um, and nothing, nothing but nothing but praise. The Catholic League, we, we need to be careful on the chronology here, the Catholic League came in after the CNS report, um, which, which is, is this ersatz news organization, it's cyber news service as opposed to what it really is, which is conservative news service. It's run by Brent Bozell, who curiously enough sits on the board of the Catholic League which is not affiliated with the Catholic Church. It's run by a gentleman in New York, and in fact, they the Catholic, the diocese, of, Archdiocese of Manhattan tries to have very little to do with him. It went, the, the complaints, um, as I indicated earlier, went viral. Um, we got a tremendous number of blog commentary complaints, and this was picked up in Congress. This is Washington. It's, the, it's naked political power that we were getting um, the element of congressmen. Um, um, you would dispute that Washington is not... Is that you, Kristen? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Let, let, let's um, look. First of all, let me. Let me let, let, let's give David a chance to respond. Kristen Caps of the City Paper. Kristen Caps of the City Paper um, um, did excellent work in reporting on the agenda of the Brett Bozell CNS. I, I, to be blunt, I, I, I don't think it's particularly interesting to get into the TikTok of who called when. We had heard from congressmen. Let, um, you know, I don't. You know, I don't have a the phone records here, but we had heard, um, we didn't do this in a vacuum, believe me, um, the, the, the decision to, to remove it. Um, and and the, this is again where the pernicious influence of, this, of the CNS was that they called Bonner and Cantor and some of the others, the fellow from Georgia, and said, if you don't, you know, do you, don't you agree that this is an instance of, you know, Perversion, filth, obscenity, etc. And you know, if you don't respond by one o'clock, I'm going to say you agree with their perverted. <laughs> um, and so they said, "Oh my God, I'm appalled." Without ever again, none of these people have been to see the show, of course. Um, but we we were getting political pressure. The, the Catholic League came in as part of this concatenation of of right wing um, conservative, if you will. I, I know some conservatives; they not quite as vile as these people. Um, if, if there weren't, let me ask you this question: If there weren't the threats to poll works from the, the sort of the circular firing squad effect that you were talking about, would the story still be generating 
Um, we're as still, much controversy outside of art circles today. Well, I mean, again, this is where I think we're losing, uh, again, the, the two things at the same time. I mean, we're still getting criticism that the that the exhibition is is obscene, the exhibition is filth. Um, the Washington Times ran an art, an editorial the other day about, um, you know, the, essentially uh, repeating the forward to, to the uh, degenerate art exhibition of 1937 in Germany about the about mo- the perversion of modernist artists and their twisted minds replicating you know a world that they can only see in their own psychosis as opposed to the good the pure and the beautiful Thomas Kincaid um, you know uh, that that makes America great and so no we're getting continual sort of culture comp criticism and again I, I the the the, the the Wanarovich video was a perfect storm for this because of the intersection of the Christianist and the homophobic. Um, and that was why it led the CNS report. It's why they claim this is a Christmas show. Um, the, I mean, the exit, it's a long, I mean, I know I've been to Target and Target starts their Christmas decorations out early, but this show, I mean, it opened October 30th and it closes February 13th and it's slotted into our fall winter season. Uh, again, I'll point out the hypocrisy if we, if we, if we'd done it in the spring, it would have crossed with Easter. So, you know, I wasn't gonna, we weren't going to win that one. Um, but it, but the, for purely logistical reasons, which, again, they've just insisted on, and you continue to see blog posts, Smithsonian blights, Christi- blights Christmas, blights Christian um, uh, belief. Um, but, but that was only the, the, the leader of that, of the criticism, because of the intersection of those two elements, that we, that, that review you know, pounded the other keynotes of obscenity, et cetera, et cetera, ultimately, again, going back to my point about degenerates of the homosexual body. Uh, and, and if it hadn't been, if, if the Wanarovich video had never been in the show, it would have been the Lyle Ashton Harris, or it would have been the Mark Morris row, or it would have been Lisa Lyons, or it would have been Ellen DeGeneres, as in fact it was. It's just that the, 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 the video led. Now, 20 years ago, criticisms like that were enough to cancel a show, the Maplethorpe show at the Corcoran. Have we made progress that we've lost one piece instead of the whole show? I would... I mean, I hesitate to call that progress, but... I mean, look, again, I would like to have a 100% show, but I, you know, the, the exhibition is still up. We are carefully watching what happens internally and externally. Yeah, it's, I, I want the show... You know, we took a flesh wound. It's not a mortal wound. It's not a sucking chest wound. It, you know, it, it's, it's, it didn't get canceled. It didn't get pulled. Um, I don't like it, but it, it's not a mortal blow. There are mortal blows that could happen. Okay. Um, yes, you. Wanna Rovich. So just to rephrase for the benefit of those on the internet, um, for, to what degree did Wanarovich's relative um, lower profile as opposed to some of the other artists in, in the exhibit, plus the fact that this was a, a video, the media, the artist, ha- what, what 
roles did those play in uh, the decision? I don't, I don't think they played any role. I mean, that was the piece that was attacked, and that was so it was the object of that attack. I mean, I, I mean, it, it would have been interesting if they'd attacked, you know, Jasper Johns's in memory of my feelings, um, um, but they didn't. Um. However, the artist was um, in the midst of the NEA mess in, in, in the late 1980s. Um, there's a really good piece on the New York Review of Books blog by David Cole, who was the artist's attorney at the time, that kind of linked then to now. That's worth a look. I think also that one of the things that um, we we sort of have already discussed, but the fact that it was a video piece actually made it a lot easier for the piece to still be gets to still be seen so much, um, and in a way because it was a video piece actually made it a lot easier to, I guess, pass it along as as a form of protest. Has it made it easier though to demagogue because you can just excerpt eleven seconds of ants crawling on a crucifix, and that's all some people will see of it. The irony, of course, is that the very people who criticize the video are putting it up on their sites. So, <laughs> so Fox News can in Fox News is playing it. The, the delectation and horror of their their of their viewers can show the video, but I can't. I, you know. Well, almost further irony is that it's a twenty-minute work in progress that the artist created, and only four minutes of that were shown at the National Portrait Gallery, with none of the nudity, none of the masturbation. And now only 11 seconds of that is being shown. None of the good stuff. Yes. <laughs> yes, there you go. So will, yeah. will, will the show travel? Um, first of all, I thank you for the support. No, the show is not going to travel, and there are two reasons for that. One is it's logistically impossible um, and I'm it, and expensive. Is that you know we had loans? We were we, I was amazed at the number and the amount of the loans that we got from Salutat to you know, the, to the Johnses. This is the first time Jasper Johns has released paintings for a non-Jasper Johns retrospective show. But I also have to say something else. We wanted to travel the show. And when we were planning it, we wrote to plenty of institutions. And some of those institutions are the people who are criticizing now. One prominent in, well, I won't, I, nah, I won't. Uh, <laughs> uh, nah. Um, and, and they didn't want to take it. That we we wanted you know um, we wanted to run this to a west coast and and a, and a southern or 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 a, um, a, a town at the headwaters of the Mississippi, um, <laughs> whose director gave us a shot the other day, um, and they didn't want to do this show. Nobody said, oh yeah, we'd love to have it at our place. We'd love to help you. And I think that, again, gets to the fact of that it's easy to criticize this exhibition now that the exhibition is up, but you didn't do it. Um, so, you know, there you go. Yes, up there.
So the question is, if the A.A. Bronson Felix piece is pulled from the exhibit, what sort of effect will that have on the reputation of uh, American museums and how they view queer art? Well, I, I think that I think that, that that's a Smithsonian-specific question. If if A.A. Bronson um, succeeds and is desired to have the ex- the piece removed, it it will um, hurt the Smithsonian's ability to put on cutting-edge shows. I don't think it'll have any effect in the in the art world generally. Um, have you spoken to him? Via email, yes. I think it's an interesting conversation for artists about how they um, have their work um, taken over, stewarded by museums, and how artists might look at contracts for um, for their work and stipulations that they might say that. If my work is loaned to an exhibition, it has to stay throughout the total of the exhibition, or who knows? I mean, but I think it definitely would behoove artists to look at their contracts and look at their loan agreements, although I believe it's actually owned by the National Gallery of Canada now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't what? want to get in the legal weeds about this. I, I just think, um, I, I just think, I think it's one of the reasons to flip this over a little bit. One of the reasons, however inadvertent the process was by whereby this came to the National Portrait Gallery, I was delighted that it came to the National Portrait Gallery because we are the Smithsonian. We are the public square for America. We exist on the Mall between you know the the chief executive at the White House and the cons- and the Capitol, and we speak for the American people. And the Portrait Gallery has tried particularly since our reopening, our, our rebuilding, to, to expand the range of, of our representation of democratic America. And the element here of you know, an LGBT presence at the Portrait Gallery, whether it's in our struggles for justice room or then in this special exhibition, I just think the, 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 the Portrait Gallery represents Americans to Americans. And um, I think that that was an important thing. Um, it also represents different kinds of art, from the representational to the to the abstract, and I think that was an important thing in expanding our range as the kind of media we deal with. And I'm going to be deeply saddened um, if this, as they say, um, puts the puts a, an end. And you know, it's why I'd like Warhol to stay in the game. It's why I'm hoping A. Bronson will stay in the game. Um, that aside from the political, you know, this is it is Washington. It is it is the National Museum, and I want to represent all Americans to all Americans. Um, so, Without I, wanting you, asking you to divulge anything that would be inappropriate, what, what, what specifically have you said to, to Mr. Bronson? What I've just said to you is that this would be a tragic loss to the, to the exhibition. Um, we, it's, it's an incredibly powerful piece. It, can I just ask, how many people have seen the show? Oh, that's good. Good for you. What are the rest of you doing? I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> um, it's an incredibly power, p- powerful piece, and the and the exhibition has three anchors. It begins with Salyutat. It has it has Jasper Johns in the in the middle, and it has Felix and A. A. Bronson at the end. And it's it's necessary to the exhibition, as Tyler pointed out. It's the it's the it's the the anchor for the the latter part of the exhibition. We had our our, our hard-boiled political operative at the at the Smithsonian Castle went through the show, and as you know, it's hit, it's in that alcove at the back. And when she happened upon it, she started to weep and had to leave the exhibition. And I think, again, I understand A. A. Bronson's um, anger, um, 
about the Wanarovich decision, but that's the audience, the element of the thousands of people who are coming through the exhibition who would not otherwise see that painting and the representation of that particular moment, that particular tragedy, and that particular artistic making inspiration out of, out of horror is, is very important for all Americans to see. And I really would, I don't want to lose that piece. I, I hesitate to say this because it's almost certainly going to come out the wrong way, but I, I, um, I did a Q&A with him on, on Man last week, and I said, well, if you take the piece out of the show, aren't you accomplishing what, what the right wing wants, which, which is to make a certain history even more invisible? And he said, no, because by raising a stink about it, um, already more people have seen the work in the last 24 hours than had probably seen it in the 10 years after I made the piece. Um, I, I don't think he's undertaking a PR campaign to get, get the piece seen. I think he believes genuinely what he believes. But, um, but the piece is getting seen. We, we have time for, for, JPEG. for just one more question, because we, we promised to keep this a, cer a certain length. Um, but we do encourage you, part of, the part, part of the point of these rapid responsive programs that we do here at the JCC is to get you talking to each other. So we're not going to kick you out of the building. Um, we want you to hang around. We want you to talk. We want you to spend some time in the Anlo Bronfman Gallery where we've kept Mary Morsell Nathan show up an extra day for you. Um, and uh, we want you to continue this conversation in the days and weeks to come. So yes, sir, in the middle, you, you get the, the last question. Yes, I totally agree with you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, I did promise uh, that um, before we, we left tonight, I was going to invite Catherine Dawson to, to just sort of leave us with uh, a few final words. Can I? Um, yes. Before we turn back to Catherine, I, one of the things that's been nice, because Jonathan and I have been on the road doing this, um, as you'd expect. One of the questions that came up earlier is why haven't you done anything in Washington? And we are, of course, aside from tonight, planning a series of events. I just wanted, since Kat doesn't have the program, I just want to preempt her a little bit. On January 29th, there will be a full-scale scholarly conference about um, the themes raised by Heidsieck, you know, themes of homoeroticism and the work of Stuart Davis and stuff like that, which is of, I, of interest, at least to me. Um, but we also, at some point in January, will be running a full bore, day-long, invite everybody, bring your switchblade, um, <laughs> discussion of the controversy, um, with, and we will keep you posted on our website. And finally, I do want to say we received a since I mentioned website and my loathing of the internet, um, we are we did receive a very generous 
um, grant with a possible matching fund from um, the chairman of the Smithsonian Regents, Patty Stonecipher, to expand the website so that it will become a permanent exhibition that even when the exhibition goes down physically in February, it will have a cyber presence um, for as long as cyber presence is last. And now, and now Kat. Thank you. Um, I'd like to thank our panelists for this evening. Uh, Josh, Victoria, David, Tyler, and Daphne. You guys were fantastic. Um, I'd also like to thank uh, Hallie Cohen, who's done some seriously awesome work on this, um, as well as James Alafontis for really rallying the troops to get everybody here this evening. Um, we, uh, as, as Josh had said, we, we really hope to continue this conversation and there's several ways that that will be done. Um, as David mentioned, uh, through the National Portrait Gallery, there will be um, uh, a few events uh, throughout January and, and February that you can attend, and I really encourage you to visit the HideSeq website to find out more about that, and that's through the Smithsonian Institution. Um, uh, also very near and dear to my heart will be the, uh, this, is, this is part of the JCC's Rapid Response Series, as well as part of the um, Transformers uh, Framework Panel Series, and in conjunction with this panel, this is kind of serving as part one of a two-part series um, that uh, Victoria is going to pull together this January, um, which will look at the reignition of the culture wars of the late 80s and the best practices, both past and present, by artists, organizations, and arts audiences in response to censorship and threats of having funding pulled due to programming content. So I think that the panel will be uh, held at a very crucial time this spring as we move into a little bit more of a reality of what funding threats may uh, approach the Smithsonian Institution. Um, finally, uh, while it is important to call your uh, representatives and to purchase the catalog, which is available through um, Amazon, uh, if you want it, uh, the best way to support the show is to go see it. It's truly incredible, and I really encourage each of you to go. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful evening. <laughs>